Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Ken Hellenius, sitting in my studios in South Bend, Indiana, and sitting across from me in his studios in Portland, Oregon, is the man whose birthday is observed as a bank holiday in many Commonwealth countries, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. (laughs) Hey, Ken. How you doing, brother? (laughs) That's awesome, man. I mean, what... I, I love traveling to places like, uh, you know, um, uh, England, uh, Ireland. Well, not Ireland. That's not a Commonwealth country. But, you know, and, and having an extra day just to celebrate Deacon Harold. That's what <laughs> that's what more countries in the world need, frankly. <laughs> you know, Singapore also loves you. So, you know. I know. Yeah, I wish <laughs> I could go back there. <laughs> I'd love to go back to Singapore. Yeah, great, great place. Um, church is definitely alive there. That's for sure. That's just so amazing. I mean, yeah, you've been like twice to Singapore, right? Uh, Five times. Five times. I've been to five times to Singapore, yeah. You're like the apostle of Singapore. (laughs) They keep asking me to come back, and I keep saying yes, so. Well, awesome. (laughs) Fun, fun. Uh, but, uh, you know, you mentioned last week that uh, you won't be traveling to Australia. So that's a Commonwealth country that's going to miss out on you this year. But uh, but um, any other travel coming up for you? Uh, All domestic, I was, I know. Yeah, I was supposed to go to Greece um, on pilgrimage. And as of today, it's still it's still going. But um you know, we, we have to see, we have to keep a close eye on what's going on there in Greece. The country is going to be open in July, but people still may be nervous about traveling. Sure. Um, now, when you so, go on so pilgrimage we'll to, to Greece, that's to like visit the missionary. Yeah, footsteps of St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, footsteps of St. Paul pilgrimage. So, um, yeah, so basically following Paul through the uh, Acts of the Apostles, yeah. the places that he travels through there. And um, that's, that'd be great because I've never been. Uh, that part of the world before so exciting then we got a little extension to italy as well to rome for a couple days at the end of that yeah so if people are interested just go to my website just deaconherald.com click on the pilgrimage tab you get all the information there um about this upcoming pilgrimages as well as the ones i have next year um yeah i have several next year um uh, especially two to make up for oberamagal you know the passion play which was postponed till next year Right. So, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> you know, we've never talked about this on the show. We need to do a Living Stones pilgrimage at some point. Oh, I think that would awesome, be. Man. I think that it would be wonderful. It, it'd be like the most time that you and I had spent together since you know in five Just years. Started or so. working at UP. That's right. That's right. Well, That'd yeah, be a yeah. lot of fun. Wow. That well, would be. That would be. We should. Uh, we we should find us some uh, some friends in the travel world and and start that. Start that process. I think. Yeah, I, I can get that hooked up. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we are having a wonderful conversation on Evangelium Vitae, the 1995 encyclical on the Gospel of Life by Pope Saint John Paul II. Last week we uh, we left off at the beginning of uh, paragraph 43 in a section on man's responsibility for life, and the first part of this section as we kind of wrapped up last week, was talking about our relationship with 
creation as the the as in all of creation you know genesis tells us that god gave humans the command to be fruitful and multiply to till the earth and to and to subdue it but also to to have stewardship over creation uh, and so we talked about ecology and and our preservation of the world not just for our own generation but for future generations so john paul again kind of planting the seeds uh, that really have their fruit in Pope Francis's encyclical Laudato Si, uh, as well as other kind of teachings on the importance of caring for our common home. But then paragraph 43, so again, still in the same subsection here, really speaks about something that I mentioned last week, and that is the idea that as humans, we also co-create with God in the act of procreation, in the conjugal act, in which we literally, with God, create human souls. God creates the soul, but we are the um, the efficient means uh, by which that happens, I guess, is the uh, is the kind of the technical term. So um, I think, and so like specifically, he says, by speaking of a certain special participation of man and woman in the creative work of God, the council, here he's quoting the Second Vatican Council, wishes to point out that having a child is an event in which is deeply human, and full of religious meaning insofar as it involves both the spouses who form one flesh and God who makes himself present in that moment. So we talk about how, you know, in the, when we exchange marriage vows, we say, you know, what God has joined, let no man put asunder. This is truly God being present in the joining of the couple as one flesh. And this is where we help co-create with God. And it's a beautiful responsibility and an invitation and an honor to be able to do so, and a joy. Yeah, and and it's also quite biblically accurate, because um, the the the, ver- the verb bara in Hebrew means to create, and the only subject of that verb, the only one that, that creates anything, is God. Right. <laughs> and the, I mean, so we don't create anything, you know. We we co-create with God. It says that we we build things, but <laughs> you never see David created. Or, you know, Job created or only God creates. Yeah. Everything that we do in the Bible, as you said, is a participation in God's creative activity. Um, so like we talked about last week, whether it's art or music or uh, in the conjugal act or priests, you know, um, creating uh, through the Holy power, of the Holy Spirit and the words of consecration, the Eucharist comes about. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that gives us life, you know, so there's there's different ways that we participate depending on our state in life and the gifts that we've been given by God called the different levels of participation and, and, and depth of creative co-creative activity with God. Yeah. You know, but but all of us in some way are, are called to this participation with God's creative power. And you you mentioned how bi- deeply biblical this idea is. I mean, even from the the beginning, Eve exclaims in Genesis four, chapter one, "I have begotten a man with the help of the Lord." You know, this is of course the very idea co-creating with God. Eve recognizes that, and it flows through Scripture. Um, he goes on and kind of concludes this paragraph by saying, "Over and above the specific mission of parents." The task of accepting and serving life involves everyone, and this task must be fulfilled above all towards life when it is at its weakest. 
It is Christ himself who reminds us of this when he asks to be loved and served in his brothers and sisters who are suffering in any way. What does he tell us that, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. The foreigner, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned, whatever is done to each of them is done to Christ himself. And this is where we all have our role to serve the weakest and the most vulnerable among us. That is how we participate in this responsibility towards life, whether or not we're parents. We all have this responsibility as sons and daughters of God. You know, and and obviously when we think about this, what comes to mind are some of the great saints of the church. Um, to the most recent memory, of course, is St. Teresa of Calcutta, mm-hmm. who did this so beautifully or the sisters of life or something like that. But, but we all, I mean, when we see the guy, you know, uh, at the uh, interchange of, of the highway begging for change or something like that, or the guy, homeless guy on the street, you know, um, like I said, my family and I were doing takeout Tuesdays, you know, and I went to pick up the takeout and this guy was sitting there on, on the side where he goes, Hey, could you, you know, you can ask me, cause can you give me something to eat? I said, absolutely. So when I went in there to pay, I said, Hey, can you get my friend out here? A little something, you know, and and um, so I ordered something from off the menu and said, you know, um, they're going to bring it out. I said, I pay for it. They're going to bring it out to you. And he said, you know, thank you. And that, and that's it. That, that's that little act right there. Uh, and we, and we, we can't we, we have to stave off that feeling in us that, well, and if we give them money, they're just going to buy alcohol with it. I mean, what Christ calls is the act of giving, not right. what they do with it. That That's not the point. The point is that we made an act to, you know, our heart was in the right place. We're trying to help this person because we see Christ living in this other person. You know, what they decide to do with who is, is, is inconsequential. Right. You know, what Christ is going to recognize and what God is going to honor in us is the effort and, and, and the and the the right attitude in the heart that we did in, in making that that act toward that person. That that's what counts. Yep. Yeah, that's a. Uh... That's an excellent example because, <laughs> and and I I think that what you're saying there is a wonderful reminder. It is it is what we do in our heart, not and and that's actually you know, in some ways that's actually a consoling thought too, right? Because God can make good out of anything, and so it may you know what you do right there in those moments of of true charity. And this is charity in the fullest sense of the word, right? It's not, it, it is love. That's what charity is, is love in action. And so thanks for the reminder. <laughs> take <laughs> well, out so- Tuesday. See, everybody can take take someone out. I love it. That's great. Yeah. Well, this next section is uh, kind of continues this idea. And for you formed my inmost being, the dignity of the unborn child. And he begins paragraph 44 here with an important reminder, um, kind of two things. One, he says, human life finds itself most vulnerable when it enters the world and when it leaves the realm of time to embark upon eternity. So it's at those extremes, birth and death are the times when we are most vulnerable. So that's kind of setting up where we're going to go here. But he goes on to this wonderful Um, kind of observance. Although there are no direct and explicit calls to protect human life at its very beginning and life nearing its end, 
This can be easily explained by the fact that the mere possibility of harming, attacking, or actually denying life in these circumstances is completely foreign to the religious and cultural way of thinking of the people of God. So you're not going to read in the Bible explicit, do not abort, do not, you know, do not uh, commit euthanasia, because those ideas, he says, were so abhorrent to the people that they didn't. He didn't even have to tell them not to do so. <laughs> they knew that in their heart, and I think that this is. We sense this too in our conscience, you know, in our conscience, the human, you know, the the divine law written on our hearts. We knew this, and so he didn't have to be explicit about it. The divine law, you know, supersedes positive law in in a way. Um. He goes on to talk about many biblical passages which respectfully and lovingly speak of conception, of the forming of life in the mother's womb, of giving birth, and of the intimate connection between the initial moment of life and the action of God the Creator. So again, underscoring what we've said, we co-create with God. Um, and the scriptures speak about that. Of course, we know, you know, in Jeremiah from, you know, you formed me in my mother's womb. You know, you knew me from the moment I was formed, these sorts of things. Jeremiah 1, verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. That's actually true for all of us, not just for Jeremiah the prophet. God knows us and calls us to a specific vocation from the womb, each and every one of us. So you don't have to be a, a, you know, a prophet in order for God to love you. He loves you. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what's, what's interesting, he says in the Old Testament, sterility, sterility was dreaded as a curse. You know, and I think of uh, 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 Hannah, Hannah you know, yeah. Samuel's mom, you know, who couldn't get pregnant. And, um, and the, her husband's other wife, they, they made fun of her. Yep. You know, because you yep. can't get pregnant. Look at something. You know, and, and and but now, look 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 how things have changed. You know, uh, fertility is a curse in right. our in our culture now. You know, uh, God. You know, how, how many kids you have? Well, what's wrong with you? You know what causes that, right? You know, and, and you know, just insipid comments like that. Yeah. Or um, you know, uh, where oh okay, well okay, we have enough kids now. Now we have to you know, uh, sterilize ourselves now because that's just what you do. You know, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's again, that kind of thinking should be completely foreign to the religious culture way of thinking of Catholics, you know, right. in our culture. But the problem is Catholics participate, you know, in, in, in this same, uh, uh, sterility, sterility. What is that? What I want to say here? Sterilization. Sterilization activities yeah. uh, and contraceptive activities, you know, just like the culture does. Right. And so, you know, again, I think what John Paul II helps us do here is bring us back to this uh, to this proper biblical understanding of life as a gift. We, yeah, the the idea that, um, as he calls it, uh, the idea of being left prey to human caprice, you know, um, and then he you know, speaks about the, the mother of the seven sons in the book of Maccabees who watched each of the children, you know, oh, each yeah. of their sons, you know, tortured. And yet she gave praise to God. I mean, she recognized that those children were a gift of God and that she was giving those, that gift back to God and they were remaining faithful to God's, to God's commandment. And that is, that is what we are called to do. And I, I think, you know, you make, you make reference there to, 
you know, you'll read polls that say that the that Catholics contracept at the exact same rate as everybody else in American culture. Just because the on the ground experience is Catholics are not following the guidance and and the call of God does not mean that the call of God is wrong. It means mm-hmm. that we are failing to do our responsibility, which is to honor God and to cooperate with God. Um, you know, we all know, you know, we all have family members, no matter how faithful we ourselves may be or unfaithful, we, we certainly all have family members who are walking their own path and responding in their own way to God's, to God's call in their lives. Um, and our job is to remain faithful and to be witnesses and to speak about our witness too, right? I mean, to, to say, you know, we are open to, to have children. We, no, I'm not, I've not been sterilized. My wife has not been sterilized because we're open to this. If God doesn't give us children, that's, that's, you know, doesn't mean I don't need to be loving and I don't need to be open to those things. Our job is to remain faithful and to, and to be witnesses to God's call. That's what we need to do. Um, and to, and to preach about this, you know, for those, for those of our uh, members of the clergy, maybe deacons, if you know any, um, you know, to preach and to witness to those sorts of things, to, to the truth about life that God calls us to be cooperators with him in that. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. And, and, uh, in the new Testament, it says in paragraph 45, the new Testament revelation confirms the indisputable recognition of the value of life from the very beginning, talking about the relationship between the Blessed Virgin Mary and Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. And in there it says that the uh, the infant leapt, the mother was filled with the spirit, uh, of Elizabeth, of course. The yeah. mother was not filled before the son, but after the son was filled with the Holy Spirit, he filled his mother too. Wow, which is, <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's a... a um, a, a beautiful quote um, from an exposition on the Gospel of Luke. Um, but I like that. The infant leapt. The mother was filled with the Spirit. The mother was not filled before the Son, but after the Son filled with the Spirit, filled his mother too. I, I just I thought I just thought it was a great insight, and, and that in that symbiotic relationship between the child and the mother in the womb, something that we won't even begin to understand. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, us you will know, ever have that experience, right? The only I, time my stomach moves is when I eat something bad. <laughs> my, my stomach's like, <laughs> rawr, rawr. I was like, but imagine, <laughs> but imagine a baby, like another life. I just can't imagine, yeah. you know. And and um, you know, I just saw the, yeah, I saw some of the uh, the hardships too that my wife went through with the morning sure. sickness and some other things, but um, but also the joy. You know, of uh, especially when the baby moved or something like that. You know, it's just that's just a such a beautiful um, relationship, and how the Holy Spirit works in that relationship. The woman as as the life giver and the life bearer, and how in, in the case of Elizabeth, John the Baptist sanctified. We, we, that's we, the the common tradition is that John the Baptist was sanctified in the womb, right? At that right. Moment when he left, and in and in that sanctification also. Um, Help, uh, helped Elizabeth become whole, more holier, you know, holier, which is why she, you know, said, you know, when, when your greeting reached my ears, a child leapt in my womb, which also shows that John the Baptist recognized the presence of Christ in the voice of Mary. He does mm-hmm. his dance the way that David danced before the Ark of the Covenant yep. uh, in the hill country, 
mm-hmm. in the exact same hill country in which Elizabeth lived, uh, you know, dancing before the ark as they bring it into Jerusalem. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, it's the parallel, you know, but at the same time, it it does teach us about this as well, which is why we call Mary Ark of the Covenant, which is why John the Baptist, not John the Baptist, but, but John the Revelator also speaks about the great sign seeing the God's Ark in heaven. And it was the woman who gave birth to the son. And so, yeah, it's it's absolutely beautiful stuff. A couple of weeks ago, I interviewed um, Vicki Thorne, who is the woman who founded Project Rachel. Mm-hmm. Project Rachel, which does post-abortion healing ministry. And one of the things she talked about was that when a woman has a, a baby in her tummy, I, as a boy, I, that's how I understand it. Mommies have babies in their tummies. The child in the womb actually exchanges cells with the mother, and those cells stay in the mother for the rest of her life. And she then shares those cells with subsequent children as well, so that siblings contain parts of their siblings, you know, down the line. But those cells become part of her. Now think about that. The Blessed Virgin Mary exchanged cells with the divine son. She not only gave him all of his flesh because, you know, he had no human father, but she retained those cells in her for the rest of her life. And so this is the marvelous, truly a marvelous exchange that takes place between mother and child, which we as as men will never experience. But at the same time, we share cells from our siblings, from our older siblings too. You know, so if you have older brothers or sisters, you know, parts of them are in you. So we share true communion in that. So when we talk about being parts of the same family, it's more than just having the same mom. It means literally we are parts of the same family. This is some of the wonderful biological things that we just don't think about until you hear these and learn these facts. And you're like, there's a lot more going on than possibly I ever could have thought of. Yeah, that's that's so true. And, and how it's, it's wonderful now how the revelations of science help confirm some of the things of our faith. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's that's such that's so beautiful because I've heard Father Calloway talk about that too, the cell the cell exchange between mothers and their children. Yeah. And um, and how they retain those cells. Uh, that's 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 beautiful. Yeah, it's mind blowing, is what it is. When she was yeah. about this, uh, that, yeah. Well, um, paragraph forty-six. This next section is life in old age and at times of suffering, and this may be actually kind of. This is a, a part of our society that continues to march on, right? I, I mean, they say we're making progress as they the around the nation they continue to expand laws to give people the power to choose when they want to die through physician-assisted suicide. Obviously, Oregon is the, you know, has always been at the forefront of this, of this motion, of this kind of legal action. And it's, it's horrifying, to be honest, because this is the part at which, the point at which we recognize that God truly is the master of our lives, and it is not up to us to decide when we die. We don't decide when we're born, and God is also the master of, of our death as well. So 
In quoting this, John Paul says, man is not the master of life, nor is he the master of death. In life and in death, he has to entrust himself completely to the good pleasure of the Most High, to his loving plan. Um, we've talked before about the Christian meaning of human suffering. Salvivici Dolores, John Paul II's 1984 letter, or yeah, 1984 letter on, on human suffering. Um, but this is perhaps one of the most difficult parts to, to really wrap our minds around because it also hurts us to see our loved ones in pain. And so it's, you know, it becomes easier to understand why somebody would want to be released from that pain. But this is where our faith really touches us the most and where we need the, the most guidance and grace from God to understand his, his purpose and his meaning. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and in fact, with regard to the, the, the bodily life, the next paragraph talks about martyrs. You know, yeah. that life of the body in its earthly state is not an absolute good for the believer, especially as he may be asked to give up his life for the greater good. Yes. You know, um, so that's uh, that's that's pretty awesome right there. Um, oh. You know, and I always thought if I was in that situation, if someone asked me, are you going to die or deny Jesus? I'd say I'm going to die. I mean, I I mean, I, I I feel very strongly that I would, you know, um, because I mean, I know where I'm going. Right. I know where right. I'm going. So I'm not worried. Oh, this is the end. My life is over. There's no meaning. You know, no. I mean, because my life is pointed and directed toward Christ, yeah. and and um and guys, we're we're just here journeying to get there, to heaven. So you think of the witness of Saint Polycarp, you know, who in his nineties, when being persecuted for the faith, and they're like, "Come on," you know, he's like, "No, I've served the Lord for eighty years. Why would I give up now?" You know, kind of deal. The the witness of the martyrs is perhaps the the strongest argument for the power of faith to overcome challenges and weakness. Um, and here in 47, paragraph 47, John Paul also talks about how Jesus came to alleviate suffering. Jesus came, he says, you know, with the many healings he performed, they showed God's great concern even for man's bodily life. He was the physician of the body and of the spirit. But think about the miracle, you know, think about the miracle that takes place when the friends lowered the man down through the roof, the, the paralytic. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And it was more important that Jesus heal the soul. He said, but so that you know that I truly can forgive sin, I tell you, take up your mat and walk. Deacon, we've run out of time again. Uh, as is our custom. But uh, as we mentioned before, visit uh, our uh, the website of Modern Day Radio to download previous episodes of the show. Please connect with us on Facebook at Living Stones Media is, uh, is our page. And, uh, and we will pick up this conversation again next week. But until we do so, Deacon, might we have a blessing? Well, mighty God bless you and keep you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M A T E R D E I radio.com.